I am looking forward to continuing in today's message. Uh, we are in our series, Foundations. This is actually our third week of Foundations. We also had a uh, break in between where we had a guest speaker. Uh, Foundations is a series that we have put together that helps us execute our mission here at Northwood Church more effectively. Uh, this series is going to become a, a class eventually uh, that is part of our discipleship track here at Northwood Church. Now, we're not sure if we're going to be calling it our discipleship track or it'll be a next steps track or what, but this is going to be a tool that we're going to use to further advance the discipleship in Northwood Church, to further advance the mission of Northwood Church. Now, our mission is to build Christ-centered communities that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit until Jesus returns. Because one day Jesus is returning for his people, for his bride. And between now and then, uh, he's got some things that he wants to accomplish in and through our lives. Now, we called it foundations because everything that's worth building that you want to last needs to be built on a good foundation. Think about a home, a building, right? Think about Think about anything else. You, you need a good foundation, and our lives are no different. We need a good foundation in our lives, especially our faith lives. The, the, the life of the believer has to be built on a, a foundation that won't be shaken, that won't deteriorate over time. And we talked about in week one that that foundation is Christ, our cornerstone. Right? He's our foundation. Uh, but this series is, is going to not only help lay a faith foundation for new believers, but it's also going to help solidify faith foundations for existing believers. That's our aim, at least. And uh, we started our first week with a, a conversation around the topic of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Right? What does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, and then in, really, that's, that's a, a big umbrella week that kind of sets the trajectory for the entire series. Then in week two, we talked about this topic, justification. Justification is really just a, a fancy way of saying salvation. It's this moment where through Christ and our putting uh, trust in him and his finished and perfect work, that we are justified in the eyes of God, meaning it's just as if our sin had never happened, we're justified, right? And we become babes in Christ. Our condition is changed. We're born again. And, and we start this new life of salvation that we live in Jesus. So it's all about having a changed condition. And after justification, the disciples' journey enters this phase called sanctification, which is really this continuation of our walk with God. And that's actually this week's title of today's message is, sanctification, a changing of conduct. So our last week was justified a changed condition once and for all, changed, past tense. It's been done, right? But sanctification is changing. It's continual. It's ongoing. It's present and active and enduring throughout all of our lives. Now, the definition of sanctification more clearly is this. Sanctification is a transformative process where a disciple of Jesus co-labors with God while growing in Christ-likeness and learning to live a life of freedom from sin. So I'm going to read that again because that's kind of a long run-on sentence, right? But it is accurate. Sanctification is a transformative process, meaning there should be a degree, one or another degree of transformation taking place in the believer's life. It's a transformative process, ongoing, where a disciple or a follower of Jesus co-labors. That means works with God while growing in Christ-likeness and learning to live a life of freedom from sin. So justification is a big part of our mission statement, which is helping people know God, salvation, right? But then we want to be sanctified, which is to continue our journey of knowing God by growing in Christ, the second part of our mission statement. And that growth should reflect a growth in the character of Christ or the likeness of Christ in our lives. We should look a little more like Jesus as we continue on. Now, 
that word sanctification really is this picture of being cleansed or, or washed or made new, like daily, this remaking, a, a renewal of, of, uh, of the person's life. It's this idea of being set apart, kind of akin to the idea of being made holy, uh, being changed more and more into, uh, well, the, the perfection of Christ. Now, one thing you need to understand is that some people think that once you get saved, that all of a sudden you become perfect. How many of you, maybe you don't have to raise your hand, but thought, hey, once I give my life to Christ, once I surrender to Jesus, right, once I know God, everything should get better. Everything should get easier. I become some super Christian, right, and all of a sudden, like, I'm living my best life. That's the way we think about it a lot of times. And then we're kind of let down when it doesn't happen quite that way. It's hard sometimes. There's still ups and downs, and I can tell you that from my own personal journey, I didn't become perfect upon salvation. I'm not perfect now. I never will be perfect in this life. I have had many, many continual struggles in my walk with God as a believer over the last 15 years now, even as a pastor over the last nine and a half, almost 10 years. And as a pastor, I've also walked with a lot of people through their struggles, like, because I'm not alone in here. I'm not going to stand up here being the only guy honest saying, I, I got problems. Y'all got problems too, okay? <laughs> and I see them all the time. We see each other's problems because we are still on this journey of sanctification, still being transformed, still struggling with our sin because we live in what's called this already not yet reality, right? So I taught on already not yet a couple summers ago. I, I, I really think it's an important message for, for Christians to understand because it, it's an overarching framework over the, the Bible, really, that helps us understand that God has done many things already, but he's not yet brought those things fully to conclusion in our lives. So for instance, in regards to transformation or sanctification, God has actually already sanctified us. In, in, in God's eyes, through Christ, covered by the blood of Jesus, he sees us as made clean, right? However, he's still sanctifying us, and one day we will be sanctified. And so we're already sanctified, but we're not yet sanctified. And, and that's how the Bible works. That's how our faith works. And it's important that we understand. Think about when you buy a home, right? You close on the house. You're a homeowner now. Like your condition has changed. You got maybe not a title in hand. You got a note. <laughs> Some of you are, you know, blessed and have a title in hand. But, you know, either way, you're a homeowner, right? But there's still projects needing to be done in the house. And so what do you do? Well, you live in the house, and over time, you work these projects out in fear and trembling sometimes. That's the way it feels for me. And so it's the same thing, right? You're, you're now changed, born again, a believer, but you still got some renovation that needs to take place in your soul. Now, one example in the scriptures that kind of reflects this is uh, God's people, Israel. They were in bondage in a place called Egypt. So God had already extended his promises and covenants to, to this people. Like They knew that there was a, a future hope for them that God had set aside for them. God was going to use them. God was going to bless them. God was going to multiply them and all the things, right? And, and then they're in slavery, under the oppression of the Pharaoh and Egypt, and they're, and they're making bricks as slaves. Well, God is going to set his people free so that he can follow through on his promise, and he sends a guy named Moses, and Moses goes down by the power of God after some kicking and screaming because he really didn't want to. All right? How many of you trying to be used by God but really a little uncomfortable with the prospect sometimes, right? Because it's, it, it's, it's hard and painful sometimes. But Moses finally goes down, and, and, and God uses Moses to set the captives free, to set Israel free. And Israel goes on this journey after having crossed the Red Sea. Now, God destroys the enemy in the Red Sea, drowns them, right? Then the, Israel is, is, is technically free from Egypt, free from the slavery, free from the oppression, but they're still in the wilderness, and they got to go through all these things. And, and they've got battles with one another. There's infighting. They've got eventual battles that they'll have to face even once they cross the Jordan into the promised land. And between here and the promise, 
they go on this journey of sanctification, if you will, wrestling with their flesh, wrestling with their sin, wrestling with idolatrous hearts. And God says, I'm going to let you wrestle in the wilderness so that I can work some things out in you before I send you fully into the promise, right? And it's a picture of us. We were enslaved to sin. We were in bondage to death, right? God delivers us through Christ out of death, out of sin, out of darkness, out from underneath the weight of that oppression, right? And he even kills the enemy. But now, not, not only has he gotten Egypt, us out of Egypt, but he wants to get Egypt out of us. Because when you live in a place for so long, you take on characteristics of that place. And so Israel, God's people, needed to experience some transformation. And God was going to use this wilderness wandering to bring about this great work in their lives. And on that journey, they had a lot of ups and downs. And it probably looks a lot like our lives. As a matter of fact, I've got a graph that might help articulate this a little bit. Here we have before Christ, we're a slave to sin. I'm not sure if you could see those, those little subtitles there. And we've got our own ups and downs going. And, um, and once we give our lives to Christ, we, we place our trust in him. It's called justification. Mention that, right? And now we're saved, we're made right with God, and we cross over into salvation. And, and we begin this journey of sanctification, this new life in Christ. And you can see that eventually we're going to have a physical death, and eventually we'll experience glorification. We're, we're fully perfected in eternity. But between salvation and our physical death, which brings us into glorification, we've got this wild ride that we go on. <laughs> That's what it feels like to me, at least. And there's ups and downs. And sometimes more downs than ups, it feels. And, and if, if you were to think about where people often quit on their journey, it's when they're in those downs and they're not sure. Either they're not sure that they actually ever crossed that first line, maybe I'm not saved. That's usually, usually if you're concerned about those things, the Spirit's doing something in you. I, I will worry a little less about that. Let, let, let yourself have confidence if you've placed your trust in Jesus have confidence in that. But still, even if we're not questioning that, we still wonder, is God with me? Am I growing? Am I pleasing the God? Am I living right? Am I going to have consequences for this? And we have this journey of ups and downs, and that is the journey of sanctification. The wonderful thing about this is that though sometimes there's hardship, God's going on the journey with us. He's with you. In your ups, the high places, the mountaintops, and your lows, the low places, the valleys. That's, that's the good shepherd. That's what he does. He stays with his sheep in those places. And, and so there's no reason to quit, right? Now, he's not waiting on you to willpower your way to Christ-likeness. I just want you to know that. Like, he doesn't want you taking on some sort of holy activism in your life, trying to do everything just right. I'm going to get to your responsibility here in a minute. But I, I just want you to know that, like, him being with you means that he's also going to do things for you and in you, right? Because he doesn't want you taking all the credit. It's for his glory, right? <laughs> if, if, if you could figure it out on your own, you wouldn't need him. No, you need him. So he's not just waiting on you to will your way through it, but he's also not cool with you just chilling, waiting on him to do the things that he does. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm out of control. I have no self-control. I have no fruit in my life. Jesus, you get, well, do something about it then. You know, he, he, he's not also just wanting you to just chill. He wants to co-labor with you. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 speaks about this. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. But it's also God who's working in you. You see that? paradigm there this this both end reality it's not either or it's not either i do it or god does it you know god you better make up your mind who you want transforming me because i've had about enough of this going back and forth <laughs> we act that way sometimes you know no he's co-laboring with us and he says to work it out in fear and trembling now fear and trembling that's confusing for some people fear and trembling is not this idea of being paralyzed with anxiety we're not supposed to be paralyzed with fear that we might mess it up, 
okay? That's, that's not walking in love. That's walking in, 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 in an unhealthy fear. It is, though, that we have a healthy fear of God, a reverence for God, and that we genuinely be concerned for our conduct, for our health, for the way that we live our lives, so that we honor God with our lives, and that we are diligent to participate with God in this journey. That's what fear and trembling should look like. It should look like concern and diligence. Now, I do know this, that some of us are not only walking through hard circumstances that our own sin nature, our own flesh brings about in our lives. Some of us are just walking through hard circumstances that the broken, corrupted world brings to our doorstep. Other people's sin or, or just the nature of the, the fallen, decaying world where relationships are broken and, and just circumstances happen. Our money falls short and all kinds of stuff, you know, just gets in the way of us having this confidence that God's with us. You know, he's using even those things to sanctify you. He's using even those circumstances that are out of your control and that he allows to transform you. And we can have confidence that not only are we walking in salvation, but that that confidence in our salvation can free us to humbly work out our salvation and cooperate with God, becoming more like Christ. And so the question then becomes, that was just the intro. <laughs> You're like, man. Got lunch to get to. <laughs> the question becomes, what's God's role and what is our role in the process of sanctification? Well, we're going to start with God's role in sanctification. And just so you know, to speak of God is to speak of Jesus. To speak of God and Jesus, the Son, is to speak of the Spirit. And so he is um, interchangeable in, 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 in that sense of thinking about him. Uh, Jesus, who is God, lovingly sends his Spirit to be our helper, in other words. Now, this idea of the Holy Spirit being our help in our life, if you were to go back and listen to a podcast, uh, February 5th, the first Sunday of February, I taught on the Holy Spirit being our help, and I went way deeper in that message than I'm going to go in this message. And so if you want to refer to that just to kind of get a little bit more than what I'm going to give you today about spirit, then I encourage you to go to Northwood.church slash podcast or our Spotify channel, Northwood Church, Ocean Springs, and, and go listen to that. But what we're really getting to today is that God's Spirit is involved in every part of the believer's life. He's helping us. In the first way, the Holy Spirit shows us our need for salvation from the get-go, right? He convicts us. He shows us what is true and what is not. And he draws us to the Father. And he gives us the capacity to believe even. And upon our yielding to him, surrendering to him, he seals our salvation. And our face is now unveiled. And we see Christ Jesus in the spiritual, with spiritual eyes. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, he... Of course, because God will never leave us nor forsake us, he dwells with us and in us. We have his presence in our lives. He's present with you in the moment. And sometimes we can't sense that because we're so caught up in the moment, maybe in our flesh, maybe just lacking some sensitivity to what he's doing in a moment. But he is present with you. Every believer who is sealed, who is called a son or a daughter, the spirit is in you and with you. You can have confidence in that. And the wonderful thing about him being present with you is that in his presence, he transforms your heart. See, because he wants you to ultimately be in his presence in eternity, and he's a holy God. And so he's working this, this holiness, this, this growth out in your life, this transformation out in your life so that you can enter glory with Christ in his presence. And it's so wonderful as he prepares us for that future glory because what's happening is that during our life, that future glory of heaven actually breaks through moment to moment as the Spirit does something in us, bringing about this change and transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about this. It says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Whew. 
We're beholding with unveiled faces the glory of Jesus and being transformed from one glorious act of transformation in our lives to the next. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Like, I mean, this, this scripture just causes praise to rise up in my heart. This scripture just causes me to worship when I hear this reality that he is that actively involved in helping me see Christ and transform me so that I might experience a taste of the glory of the Lord in this life that orients me towards the future glory that I'll have in the future life. It's wonderful. Now, part of that is for us to just glorify him, right, to worship him. But another part of that is so that we reflect his glory in the world. He wants us to be witnesses in all the earth, and as his glory shows through us, we are a witness to his gospel grace, his good news of salvation. In Acts chapter 1, he even says that we'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and Ocean Springs, and Van Cleve, and Gautier, and St. Martin, and Biloxi, and Diabraville, and, and all around. We'll, to the ends of the earth, we'll go in the power of the Holy Spirit, witnessing to the glory of God operating in our lives. What a privilege. What a privilege to be used that way. And so how else does God play out his role in sanctification? Well, God empowers us not only to be witnesses, but to bear good fruit. God empowers us. And so Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So God empowers us to witness, full of his presence and his glory, but he also empowers us in this very practical yet supernatural way where his, his, the fruit of his spirit dwelling and abiding in us literally becomes our character. And we're supposed to bear good fruit. Now, we live in this world, and this world has a different ethic than we have, right? Different values, different, you know, metrics of success. You know, God says this is success, and the world says this is success, right? Even the way that love is defined in the world, it's different. It's not unconditional. Even the way that peace is defined, it's, it's different. Patience, go look on social media, see how the world thinks about patience, right? The, the fruit of the Spirit is a different ethic than the world has, and we are like... Well, frogs. So if you put a frog in a pot at room temperature water, it'll sit there, happy as a frog, right? You turn that water up just a little bit, the temperature on that water, the frog will sit there. It'll adjust to the temperature. You turn that temperature up a little bit more, the frog will sit there, adjusting to the temperature. This is how the frog survives in harsh conditions. It can adjust to its climate. And we become like frogs where we adjust to our climate. And you know what's interesting about a frog? If you turn the water up slow enough, you can get that thing to a rolling boil and he'll stay in the pot because he's adjusted. He's climatized. And eventually, he'll have you a plate of frog legs. I just got a little hungry. <laughs> we are being climatized all day, every day. The world around us is changing the atmosphere away from what the kingdom has for us. And if we're not careful, we'll become so well adjusted to the world that we'll no longer see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We'll see the fruit of the world in our lives, and we need to be mindful that we don't allow that to happen. There's a lot of people that have a form of godliness de denying its power. A lot of Christians are out here confessing Jesus, but not possessing Jesus. They confess him with their mouths, but they don't possess him in their spirit. And it's powerless. And I'm concerned for them. And so we want to be sober-minded and circumspect. Now, I will say, we're going to miss things. I don't live by the fruit of the Spirit every day. I'm not patient every day. Most days. I don't have self-control every day. 
some days. I'm not loving all the time. Not in that way that Christ tells me to love. I ain't sacrificing things that I, I want for myself too easily, right? It takes a swift kick in the rear end to get me to do something. God's got to really get a hold of me sometimes, you know? So it's not that we're going to be perfect. Again, I don't want to set you up for failure. You're going to miss things. And you know what the enemy loves to do? See, Satan condemns us when we sin. And what that does is that breeds hopelessness. But that's not how the Holy Spirit interacts with us. See, God helps us when we're not bearing good fruit. Did you know that? He helps us. He doesn't condemn us. He helps us. How does he do that? Well, God convicts us. This word convicts, I taught about it actually in that Holy Spirit message. It means to convince. God convicts us. See, the Spirit's conviction is actually hope-filled. He is literally trying to help you. And in John 16, 13, it shows one way that the Spirit does that. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He'll show you what is true in you or false in you. He'll show you what is true in the world or false in the world. If you'll allow that conviction to come to you, and if you'll understand that it's God's grace and his love that actually brings that conviction, and it's actually in God's grace and love that when we sin, that he guides us and gives us the ability to choose, this is part of our role, confession and repentance. But I'm not talking about our role yet. Still talking about God's role. We'll come back to confession and repentance here in a minute. Now, when we resist conviction, how many of you have ever resisted the conviction of the Holy Spirit? I've, I have. Both hands up right now. My legs are up. I mean, I'm like on the back. <laughs> like, I've done it. I've resisted the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And God helps us when we're resisting us by disciplining us. God disciplines us. How is that helpful? Well, it does, doesn't it? It's helpful because it teaches us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 6 says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son or daughter, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved or corrected by him. For the Lord disciplines the one who he, what? Loves. His discipline is love in our lives. And he chastises every son whom he receives. Down to verse 11. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Who likes discipline, right? But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been taught or trained by it. God helps us by training us and disciplining us in how to live a life that honors him and that is ultimately most fruitful. So God's discipline, think about it this way, because he, in the scripture, really personifies himself very consistently as a, as a, as a good father. And, and so God's discipline is akin to a parent's loving discipline. Now, if you're a parent, you know that you want your kids to be whole and healed and healthy, right? And so what do you do? You set values in your life, in your home, that you know will ensure setting a trajectory towards health and wholeness, safety, right? Fruitfulness. That's what we have going on in our lives. We, we have set boundaries, values, uh, expectations. And when our kids violate those values, violate those boundaries, we generally have set values and, and boundaries that align with the scripture, right? And so when our kids violate that, that's sin. And sin does have direct consequences. We apply some discipline to our kids. Lovingly apply it. But there's not just direct application of discipline. There's also this, this indirect consequence that comes from sin. Like, for instance, kids over here acting a fool, jumping on his tablet. I told him not to jump on his tablet. Now the screen's cracked. This is a true story. <clears throat> <laughs> well, guess what, young buck? I'm not buying you a new tablet. Now, I'm not going to apply 
different discipline right now because you're suffering enough not having that tablet, aren't you? But I ain't getting you a tablet. You're going to live without it. It's an indirect consequence of their sin, of them violating the values and the boundaries of the home. And, and God does the same thing. He allows the process of our decision-making to yield consequences, and he allows us to experience those consequences as a form of discipline as well. See, we're all like olives, okay? You were frogs first, now you're olives with little, little legs, okay? And so you're, just imagine yourself, right, a little olive, and you're like, I'm going to be a healthy treat for someone. <laughs> and, and you have this imagination of what your function is and what, what life is going to look like, right? And, uh, and then God's like, I have something else in mind for you. I want you to be olive oil. And you're like, yippee, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on a, a, a board. <laughs> and, and he's like, no, you're going to go under a press. A stone of great weight that's going to crush you so that the oil of your life can be taken out. And the oil of our lives is what God is after. The fruit of our lives is what God is after. Not, he's not as interested in whether or not the, painful is process, the process is painful. Don't get me wrong. He he doesn't want you to experience pain, but he's willing to allow you to experience the pain of crushing so that you can produce this greater fruit in your life. Jesus was crushed so that the fruit of his crushing on the cross could produce for you salvation. And, and so Jesus allows us to come under the weight of the stone. And what we like to do is we put our little shoes on and we try to run our little legs and, and we try to escape the crushing. Little olives just running around. But what we're supposed to be doing is turning and facing the stone and bowing before the stone, yielding, surrendering, and coming under the weight of the stone and allowing the process to happen. We have to allow the process of transformation to happen, and sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it requires discipline. So that's God's role. What's our role? Well, our role in sanctification, we die to self. I talked about this in week one of Foundations, about being a disciple. I think we talked about carrying our cross. Uh, the week before, maybe two weeks earlier, we finished up our life goals message, and we talked about the values of our church through the lens of the cross. We talked about carrying our cross there. That's a, if you didn't catch that one, go back and listen to that one. Banger. Really good message, okay? We're to carry our cross. We die to self. And it, and it begins with regarding our old sin nature as dead and living our new life in Christ. So have you ever had, like, somebody that you were really frustrated with? And you were like, man, I'm so done with that person. They're dead to me. You say some crazy extreme stuff like that. Don't we get so emotional? They're dead to me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's a little much. But we've all thought that way, right? If there's one place we should be that extreme, it's in relationship to our old man. They're dead to me. My old man is dead to me. Now, does he try to rise back up? Like he got some sort of voodoo power going on and try to, yeah, he does, but he's dead to me. And I'm going to continue to die to self. Now, this is not a self-hatred or a literal physical death. This is literally surrendering our lives as sacrifices to God. This is our inward responsibility that we have as we walk out our salvation in fear and trembling. Romans 12.1, this is Paul writing to the church at Rome, and I believe the same thing he desired for Rome to get from it, he desires for you to get from it. And so you hear this, you hear this appeal the way that he wrote uh, to them, you receive it the same way. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, he's begging them, to present or surrender your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be the frog. 
But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Dying to self is surrendering to Christ. Dying to self is being transformed by his thinking, his standards, his values. It's not about trying harder to do good and not sin. That's called sin consciousness. When you're so conscious of your own sin that you're like, "Mm, don't sin, don't sin. You're just trying to like hold yourself back from sinning. You're trying so hard. That's, That's sin consciousness. What we are called to in surrender is Christ consciousness. That's, we're a Christ-centered community, right? We should be conscious of the person of Christ, setting our minds and our affections and our heart on Christ, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who gave us the faith, who saved us in our faith, and who perfects our faith. And he says, set your mind on me and you'll be transformed. Your actions will change. If your mind and your heart are transformed. Like my wife, for instance. I don't have to try as hard to not cheat on my wife when I'm meditating on how much I love my wife. And how grateful I am for my wife. And how covenantally committed I am to my wife and God. And and how wonderful life is, even in the hard moments. I don't have to think, don't cheat, don't cheat, don't cheat. Oh, you're going to cheat, don't cheat, don't cheat. That's sin conscious. No, I'm Christ conscious or wife conscious. I'm, I love that woman. She's good to me. I love Jesus. He's good to me. Christ conscious. This is where transformation happens. Galatians 5, 24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Hanging on the cross. Just like that. That's how I imagine that. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. We die to self. We live by the Spirit. It's a little abstract in one sense, but in another sense, it's super practical. It's Holy Spirit help. It's Jesus, this is who you are and who you say I am. Help me remember that and become that. Jesus, this is what you have for me. Help me walk that out. That's practical. And he answers. He helps. He really does. Now, as we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, we live our lives characterized by good works and a pursuit of holiness. There should be an outflow. There should be change. There should be some transformation in our lives. And so we have this outward role or responsibility in our sanctification where we start acting right. You know what I mean? We ought to have some change that we experience. James 2.16, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. He's saying that my works are evidence of my faith. My works don't earn my faith or earn my salvation. My works are evidence of my faith or evidence of my salvation. Skip down to verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. There should be something happening in our lives that's fruitful. And, And we have to evaluate that. Not out of an unhealthy fear, but out of a reverent, healthy fear of God. With with a sincerity, with concern and diligence for our, our salvation. Now, again, we don't do good works to become acceptable to God. We do good works in response to God's acceptance of us through Jesus, which we never deserved in the first place. He loved us even while we were still in our sin. He loved us first. We just respond. That's what we do because he's a good God and he's worth our response. And it's no longer an I have to do good to please God. Now I have the privilege or I get to do good as an act of worship, all because of what he's done for me. And we begin to desire good works instead of having to do them. This, my friends, is true religion, not some fake pharisaical plastic 
religion where we put on our masks and pretend. This is transformation and the works that flow out of that. Now, for the remainder of our life, again, I want to remind you, you will miss the mark. I miss the mark every single day of my life. Not one has gone by. Not one day has gone by where I have not been convicted of some sort of sin since I have known Christ. And so I actually would be concerned if I had a day go by where I wasn't receiving some conviction because I would start to wonder if I was hearing from the Holy Spirit because I know I'm a sinner. I know I still wrestle. And, And so... We're going to continue to miss the mark. And so what do we do? What's our responsibility? We confess. What is confession? Well, it's acknowledgement of wrongdoing to God. And sometimes it's acknowledgement of wrongdoing to others. And confession is simply this. I was wrong. I'm wrong, God. You're right. Or friend, wife, child, mommy, daddy, I was wrong. You're right. That's confession. And you know why that's so hard for us? That's hard for us for, well, let me tell you why it's hard for me. It's hard for me because I struggle with pride. It's hard for me because I struggle with shame. It's hard for me because I struggle with fear. I have so much pride that I'm not willing to let others know that I mess up. I misunderstand the gospel of grace, and so I let shame operate in my life, and I forget that God's grace is so much bigger than my sin, and I'm ashamed, and I hide from him, so I don't confess. Or I have fear that he won't handle me well. Or if it's a person, I have fear that they won't handle me well. And some of that, I get where it comes from. People have put shame on people. People have created cultures in their relationships where people have to perform, and so they feel like their needs, well, I have to do good, and so you, you kind of take on this prideful thing. Or, or maybe, maybe people haven't handled you well when you've tried to confess, and, and so you have a fear that you might be mishandled again. There's no safety in that relationship. I get how you can get there, but Christ dealt with our pride. He dealt with our shame. He dealt with fear on the cross. And as people who are crucified with Christ, no longer living our lives in the flesh, but living our lives in the one who loved us and gave his life for us, for people like us, we can't live in pride, shame, or fear. And so we have to confess. And confession opens the door to repentance and seeking forgiveness and healing. Confession is a key to unlocking freedom in our lives, and and we just hold on to our hidden sin, and we pretend we're okay, and we don't confess for whatever reason, and we're literally locking the door on our own lives to the freedom that Christ promised us that's right on the other side of the door. And so we need to confess to God for forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Remember, we need to be humble, not proud before the Lord. Remember, he nailed our shame to the cross. Remember, we don't have to fear him. He loves us. His perfect love casts out all fear. You can confess your sin to Jesus and receive forgiveness. Two, we need to confess to people for healing. And sometimes that healing comes through our confession, the people that brings forgiveness, right? Sometimes we need forgiveness from someone to actually experience that healing. But confess to people for healing. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And this part's a little harder because this is where messy people get into the mix. If you've ever been around some messy people, you know how hard it is to tell them your business. But in the body of believers... We still have to figure out how to walk this out in humility and mature in this and grow in this and become a community that can be honest in our confession. Not letting the pride keep us from it. Not letting the shame keep us from it. Not letting the fear of how we'll be handled keep us from doing what God has done. And you know what? Healing is just on the other side of that confession. 
Do you know that so many people are literally carrying trauma in their souls, trauma in their minds, and even trauma in their bodies? Literally, follow the science. We like to say that these days. The science literally says that you can bury trauma so deeply in your soul that it manifests in unhealth in your body. We're carrying around unforgiveness. We're carrying around wounds. We're carrying around sin, hidden sin. And it says confess and be healed. This is instruction for all of our lives. And we need to confess in our community. The community is one of our values here at Northwood Church. Living in community is vitally important to the sanctification process. A lot of us think about community through the lens of belonging. I want to invite you to start thinking about community through the lens also of becoming. You belong. That's settled. Done. Now, what are we becoming as individuals and together? It's not just about belonging. It's about becoming. And becoming is a lifelong journey. And so many people want to yank themselves out of community because, because it's hard sometimes. And, and we never get to that place where we actually have that confidence maybe. Or, or maybe we are hiding sin and we don't want to confess it. And so we just peace out so that we don't have to confess it, right? And we miss out on the beauty of becoming. And yeah, sure, the doors are always open and you come back in and it's high fives and hugs and, and you belong. But what about the element of transformation that God uses literally the people in this room to bring about in your life? Do you want to rob yourself of that? We need to lean into that. Because it's in community where we help others in this process, where we encourage one another not to quit. How many times have you been encouraged in this faith body? Don't quit. I'm encouraged all the time. Don't quit. How many times have you been admonished? That means strongly encouraged to think differently about your situations. Think differently about the way that you're engaging that. Think differently about the way that you're making, aligning your life. I need that. I need admonishment in my life. Strong encouragement where it almost feels like correction. And then I need correction sometimes. Did you know that you need correction and community? God uses correction in the community to bring about your transformation. Sometimes we need confrontation. Now, obviously, we, we want to be confronted with the person being motivated by love and having a heart to see us made whole, right? We don't want to fuel that whole pride, shame, fear dynamic. Like, this should be a loving, grace-filled practice, but... We've got to have confrontation operating in a healthy family. And this is supposed to be a healthy faith family. And, and you know, sometimes people don't want to be confronted by their pastor. And sometimes the pastor doesn't want to be confronted by some of the people that God's put in his life. And, and then your group leader might want to not only strongly encourage, but confront something that he's concerned for you about or she's concerned for you about. And you know what we do? We resist it. We push back against that. You, who are you to tell me what I'm doing wrong? You got your own problems. My bad. I, I was just trying to be faithful to what God has put us in one another's lives to be for one another. If we resist this, we won't grow. We won't be transformed. So we need to confess. And we need to do it in the context of community. Lastly, we need re to repent. Repentance is humbly admitting wrong and turning from sin. And we do that once at justification. When we, when, when we have the faith to believe Jesus for salvation, we repent from our old life, turn towards Jesus. That's this once and for all repentance. But then we live this daily lifestyle of repentance, continuing to turn from sin. Oh, my flesh is rising up. Oh, my goodness. Repent. Oh, my flesh is rising up, taking me over here off course. Oh, repent. It's this constant reorientation moving back towards Jesus. And it's just part of the believer's life. And it's okay to have to do that all the time. <laughs> it's where we humbly admit that we're wrong and we turn from our sin and we realign our lives with God who wants us to be un in unhindered relationship with him. That's repentance. And that, my friends, is living your best life. You know, we think so many times that living our best life is when things are easy, when things are just going well, when things are just cush. 
No, living your best life is living a life of confession and repentance that leads to continued transformation or sanctification, a changing conduct that builds faith, that builds hope, that builds trust in a community. That is living your best life, and that's what we're called to. Revelation 3.19 says, Those who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Is there an area of your life where you're out of alignment with God, out of alignment with Christ? Maybe you don't have a relationship with him at all. You're obviously out of alignment there. Repent, turn towards him. And we would ask, is God's conviction and his discipline worth surrendering to? Well, ask Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame so much that he went on the cross to deal with it. But he didn't receive the loving discipline of the Lord. He received on your behalf and mine the wrathful punishment of God so that you wouldn't have to. Jesus, he who knew no sin, became sin so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you could be healed, so that you could receive the Holy Spirit that goes with you, that transforms your life, that helps you to live a life honor to God, that's glorifying to God. Yeah, Jesus is all about some discipline because it helps you not have to experience ultimately what he experienced punishment of God for those who are outside of Christ. He disciplines us toward Christ, towards health, towards wholeness, towards the love of the Father. And so, do we confess? Do we repent? Will you join me in prayer? Father, I just thank you so much for this time in fellowship this morning. We thank you for your word that is true, it's alive, it's active, it's so powerful so inspiring. Lord, I just thank you that, Jesus, your punishment became our peace. Jesus, I thank you that we don't have to receive punishment, that you did that for us, that all we have to do is trust that what you did on that cross was sufficient, that your grace is enough for us to receive forgiveness, to walk in freedom. If there's anyone in this room right now that's never placed their trust in Jesus' cross, and his perfect and finished work that he accomplished there, that his blood was able to, to, to pay the price that you and your works could not pay. If you've never trusted that, now's a great time to just say, Jesus, I trust you. I surrender my life to you. Forgive me for my sin that puts you on that cross. Help me to live a life that honors you. Holy Spirit, fill me. In Jesus' name I pray. And Father, for all of us, those that just prayed that prayer, for those that are in this room, God, that have maybe grown weary, we want to be reminded this morning of the heart of God as we continue on our journey of sanctification. In Hebrews chapter 12, Lord, you wrote, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, you gave us the faith that led to salvation. Jesus, you're perfecting our faith now in this moment. And we just want to look to you. We want to follow you. God, empower us, convict us, even discipline us, Lord, to a life of righteousness. That we might be people who are fruitful, God, who bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, who are witnesses to the ends of the earth of your glory and your grace. We thank you, Father, for your, your love, your kindness that goes beyond even the, the deepest parts of our brokenness, Lord. You cover our shame. And we just rejoice in it now today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.